This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present. Their systems of law and knowledge long predated that of the modern lawyers who arrived in Australia, and they hold the memories, the traditions, the cultures and the hopes of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Here at Allens, they want you to learn and they want you to enjoy yourself. Go for it and keep your mind open. But a mentality of celebrating difference. Pro bono is a really important element. You play a pretty critical role. The work we do towards reconciliation, sustainability and philanthropy. God, my friends have taught me so much during this experience. Got off the train and I was like Elle Woods arriving at Harvard. (laughs) I was just like, this is my moment. If you have a smile on your face and you're willing to get stuck in and apply yourself, then you'll bring so much value. This is Alan's Confidential. This year, Alan's turns 200, making it not only one of Australia's oldest continuing businesses, but the oldest law firm in the country. It's a significant milestone and rightly so, a cause for both celebration and reflection, especially upon some of those major and really quite extraordinary, yet also relatively unknown, milestones that helped shape the business and the political and cultural landscape of Australia as we know it today. To give us a glimpse into the past 200 years, we're very privileged to be joined by two special guests today. We have Fiona Crosby, Alan's chair and partner in Sydney's competition consumer and regulatory team, and Gillian Maxwell, historian and the project lead on the Alan's 200-year project. Thank you both for joining us today. Pleasure. Lovely to be here. So we're going to start with a relatively perhaps easy question. How did your career at Allen's begin? Fiona, did you want to take us away? It's a long time ago now, Mel, uh, over 20 (laughs) years ago. I joined as a partner, which was an unusual thing for Allen's back then. And I joined the competition team. They were keen to develop a telecoms practice. So I came with, uh, with that remit. And Gillian? Well, my background's in corporate communications, but over the last number of years, I've been researching Australian corporate histories, and it's something that I have a huge passion for and really love, and I've been so thrilled to be able to be part of researching and telling the Allen story. Fiona, what is your role as the chair at Allen's and the day-to-day minutiae of your role? I think it can seem a little bit elusive for the junior staff at Allen's and for students looking to come to the firm. So what is it that you actually do? Right. Well, there is a bit of mystery about it, Talia. I'm not sure I I want to remove the mystery entirely. Let me start by using a couple of words that are so overused now, they're almost meaningless, namely honour and privilege. That is what I feel every day in my job as chair of this firm. I really do feel that. It's a very varied role. On the one hand, you can be focusing on putting together the agenda for the next board meeting, and that will combine thinking about what's happening in the external world that we should be thinking about here, right down to quite granular matters of ensuring that everything we do complies with the uh, rules of the partnership that people have bought into and expect us to abide by. There's other dimensions to the role. There's um, an external dimension whereby I represent the firm at at lots of things, (laughs) sometimes in a quiet way, just uh, talking to people and telling them how remarkable our firm is in a quiet way and hopefully effective way, not looking too propagandist, but always looking very sincere and enthusiastic about what it is we do. And then sometimes I have to represent the firm in a slightly noisier way, which means preparing to say a few words in a formal capacity. 
And then there's another dimension to the internal role, which is just keeping your finger on the pulse of the partnership, spending time with our partners, all of whom are you know, profoundly hardworking and smart and decent. But there are things sometimes that are just on their mind and I've just got to make sure I tap into that as well. So there's a bit in it and I, <laughs> I can't tell you how much I love it. It's a lot more than what I do at the firm, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but nice to hear such a comprehensive review of what you do. Would you say that being chair of the firm and a partner in the competition team, is that a, a binary role or would you say that you utilise the same skills in both roles? Oh, some skills. At a substantive level, I suppose, being a competition lawyer, you're always looking at markets and you're always thinking about what are the metrics upon which participants in a market compete. So I look pretty carefully at the legal services market (laughs) (laughs) and the participants in that market. Uh, But at a skills level, I think the similarities would be you have to listen a lot and you spend a lot of time thinking about your communication. There are some similarities, Talia. I can definitely say that having seen you in your capacity as chair over the last year and a half since joining the firm, I always see you doing floor walks around and making sure to check in on people and say hello. And, you know, when you say you keep your finger on the pulse, I've definitely, definitely experienced that. Turning now to you, Gillian, I know that many people have just been amazed at your tenacity. Ensuring such a comprehensive story has been told for our 200 year anniversary and locating so many detailed artifacts to accompany that story cannot have been an easy feat. So I suppose we'd be curious to hear a bit more about what your role has involved over the last four years to make this happen. Every day has been different and that's what makes it so fabulous and so exciting. So for the past few years, I've been doing everything from digging through the firm's archives, being surprised by what I found, searching through old newspapers and you can find doing that, you can end up going down rabbit holes and you have to say, oh, oh, hang on, like, what was I originally looking for and bring myself back because I got so wrapped up in some <laughs> story that happened 100, 200 years ago. I've also got to interview key people who've been involved in the firm's history. And that's a really wide group of people who've just had the most fabulous stories to tell. And it's been really interesting to hear what they've had to say and how they've helped make Alan's who it is today. So it has really been fabulous. What are some of the funniest moments I think you've experienced while doing the digging and talking to people? Has there been any standouts of kind of weird situations that you've ended up in trying to track down a piece of information? Well, I find that along the way I've had to bring people and ask for really odd things that they think, why is this relevant? I remember talking to a few of the old partners and asking them about a firm tie that they had back in the 80s. And they're all saying, why do you want to know about that? That's not something, we didn't even like it at the time. And it's like, yes, but it was representative of the era and I want to see it and I want to feel it and touch it and and use it as an example of that period in time, even if it wasn't your favourite tie of the season. What did it look like? Was it blue and magenta stripes or what are we talking? Chevron tie? (laughs) It actually had little maps of Australia all over the tie and it was when we became the Australian legal group. And so there were stripes on the maps of Australia that represented the different firms that made up the Australian legal group. So it was representative of that era. I can see why it might not have been everyone's favourite (laughs) accessory. We don't extend into fashion. I don't think we stop at the law. (laughs) Fiona, speaking of the bicentenary, what does that mean to you? And I guess, how has this milestone taken you beyond your typical role as the chair? I think it's a big deal. And I think, as with all big milestones, you just take a moment to pause, don't you? Mm. And you reflect a bit. You know, you look back and you look forward and you, you ask yourself a few questions. And that's, 
that's an important process. For me, you know, in a world that seems to worship startups and wants to talk all the time about people sitting on milk crates, um, <laughs> for me, I had to really think, you know, how do you, how do you make the history relevant to everyone in the firm? Mm. And, you know, this is something that Jill and I discussed many, many times on the journey while we were putting that book together. And it sort of all came home to me this morning, Jill, I haven't shared this with you yet, when my assistant book ran into my office and said, mum loves the book. She just so loves it. <laughs> <laughs> she's got COVID and she's just on the lounge and she's working her way through it and she loves it. And that's I thought, what we we're looking for. That's right. That was perfect. That's what we discussed, right? It, there was had to be something in there for for everyone. And I think extrapolating from that, there's something in the bicentenary for everyone and uh, getting to a place where everyone feels that, that was what was important to me. And I think it's surprising for people because I don't think people outside a law firm like Alan's would think that there are things within our history that they would find interesting if they don't have a background in the law. But there's so much in the history of Alan's that mm. really can resonate with all sorts mm. of people. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I've definitely noticed that having a quick flick through the book and listening to the 200 Years podcast that has been also wonderfully produced by the team, even just the photos and the archives that have been dug up, all the little sound bites, like it's so fascinating to look at and listen back to, even if you don't necessarily think it's something you're interested in. It's like listening to an investigative podcast or, you know, reading any other kind of book. It's really fascinating and I think it would reach a very, very wide audience. So, Joe, without asking you to summarise, you know, this whole book and two centuries of history in two minutes, could you kind of take us back to the beginning of Allen's and tell us a little bit about the founder of the firm and its history? Well, the story of Allen's really starts in 1815, which is when a 14-year-old boy called George Allen boarded a convict ship with his mum and some of his siblings and headed to the colony of New South Wales. Now, they weren't convicts, but they were following George's stepfather who'd been sentenced to transportation a few years earlier. And there weren't many families who actually did do that and followed the convict father to the colonies. So it was very brave of them. Now, they didn't bring very much with them, but one of the things they did bring was a letter of introduction to Governor Lachlan Macquarie. And it was this letter that would change the course of young George's life and lead to the creation of the Allens we know today. So Governor Lachlan Macquarie organised for George to complete his legal training with one of only two lawyers in the colony at the time. And after five years of articles, George became the first person to complete legal training in Australia. The following day, he began his legal practice and that firm is now known as Allens and still bears his name. George was only 21 at the time. Wow. So he was still very young. Mm. I think I was in my second year of uni trying to figure out what precedent in contract law meant when I was 21 <laughs> years old. So he's definitely a very impressive man. Well, by the time George was 24, he'd started Sydney Grammar School. He'd started working on things like the Australian Gas Light Company and a whole lot of other things. He'd, he'd worked on establishing the education system in Australia and built Piermont Bridge. He did all these amazing things that we as young teenagers these days couldn't even comprehend. I think it had a lot to do with the fact that there was no television. I walk across <laughs> Piermont Bridge every morning on my way to work and I didn't even know that George Allen was responsible for my commute to Allen's. Yeah, George thought that Parramatta Road was a bit busy. Um, so I hate to think what he would think of we it now. We all think that. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing that might not have changed in the last 200 years. <laughs> Some of our listeners, whether they're students or they're more experienced lawyers or professionals, might hear the phrase Australia's oldest law firm be thrown around and they might think it's steeped in conservative values or it's unwilling to break tradition. What would you say to them? 
Oh, well, I would say, with respect, you're just so mistaken. <laughs> uh, one simply can't last the distance unless you're at the forefront. And you can't stay at the forefront unless you completely embrace new ways of doing things all of the time. And what the book demonstrates, Jill and I hope, what the book demonstrates is just how often Alan's was at the forefront and did things that others would say, oh, really? That's a bit out there. <laughs> like the Anton Pillow order, never been done in Australia before. Jewel-listed companies, never been done. So it really is, in some respects, a chronicle detailing, being at the forefront and trying new things and pulling them off. So I, I would hope that with active listening and superior <laughs> advocacy, I could persuade that person that you described, Talia, uh, to understand just what a modern, innovative place this is. Is there anything that stood out to you, Jill, in compiling everything where you thought, wow, Allen's is really, they're change makers, they're at the forefront of, of what the, the law is and what it's doing, where it's going? Well, I think you can see it the whole way through the Allen's history, right from the beginning. And innovation looked different in 1822 right. <laughs> to what it does today. So it takes different facets. But for George to see that the streets of Sydney were dangerous and dark and to have the tenacity to do something about that and to get together with a group of people and actually establish the company that can do that and change that and bring that innovation to the streets, it wasn't just for him, it was for the whole community. And he started that and it kept going. And as Fiona said, all the way through to Anton Pillar orders and dual-listed companies, it really does show the whole way through that we have been at the forefront and making those changes. And it's been a love of the law and a love of innovation that's kept the firm going and really kept it at the forefront. And, you know, a proclivity for big thinking. Absolutely. You know, what, what could it look like? There's lots of people who think the streets are dark but don't do anything about it. <laughs> so if George was with us today ignoring the rules of hearsay, what do you think he would think of the firm in terms of its size, its reputation, its continuing to be at the forefront? and its adherence to the principles that he put in place back then. You're looking at me, Mel? I'm looking at you, Fiona. Sure. Uh, look, I think he'd be proud. I think he would be really, really proud. I mean, I don't think he would organise a cocktail party <laughs> and <laughs> propose a toast. I think it would be a, a humble, quiet pride. But it, it would be there and it would be palpable. And I think the things he'd look to is the impact that the firm has, that big thinking that let's try something new, and also a very long and proud history of social justice commitment. I, I'd quite like to meet the guy, frankly. <laughs> I think you guys would get along great. <laughs> Jill? I think he would, as Fiona said, be really proud of the firm's values and things today. I mean, you can certainly see that the values that he had back in 1822 when he founded the firm are still there today. And that's quite incredible to go 200 years and still have that. He was really committed um, and really believed in providing access to justice to people who might otherwise not have that. And the firm still does that today. And I think he would look at that and, and feel a lot of pride behind that. But I'd also think he'd be a bit surprised by the way that we do things today. I think, you know, Control just, F. <laughs> just the speed of things. I mean, back when George started, he, he would write a letter to clients and often they'd gone back to London and it'd be nine months before he heard back. So yeah. I think just he'd the shock of He'd have to pick up emails. the pace a bit, wouldn't he? He'd have to pick up the pace. He would. But then, you know, he'd have to wait months for his pencil to arrive. So it was a very different world back then. And I think it would really shock him today. It's nice to see how so much has changed, but also how our values have remained the same 
no business that has been around for such a long time can claim to have a spotless record. Both of you and the firm have together told the good and the bad when putting this book together. Can you speak a little bit to this? The fact is, in business and in life, things go wrong. And often what defines you is how you deal with it. And so if you think about the Powell's affair, which is you know a dark period, no question about it, but the way in which the firm rallied mm. and the way in which the firm survived, that to me is the impressive aspect of that tale. I agree. And it's in those difficult times that the true character and strength of an organisation can really shine and, and be seen. And Allen's has certainly faced difficult times, but the high regard with which the firm and its people have been held really helped the firm to stand strong through some of the serious challenges that it has faced over 200 years and has helped it to retain its reputation as one of Australia's leading law firms. For the most part, your most significant lessons in life often follow your mistakes and not your successes. So I think it's nice to see such a holistic and thorough picture of Alan's. Moving now, I suppose, looking at all of the good and the bad and all of the stories that you have uncovered what is your favourite story that you have uncovered going through this process? So one of my favourite stories is one that would absolutely not happen today. So I have to preface it by saying that, but it is an amazing story and, and one that needs to be told. So this story occurred in the late 1970s when pirate copies of the latest albums had started springing up in markets all over the, the country. You know, Countdown was on TV and everyone had to have the latest songs that were out there. And the record companies and the recording artists were keen to shut this down. So they employed Allens to come and help lead the troops into battle and, and take on this case. Now, the first step was to find out who the ringleader was, which they did. And then once they did, they knew they had to act quickly because they needed to make sure they had the evidence they needed for the case. So Jim Dwyer, who was leading the case for Allens, he became the first lawyer in Australia to obtain an Anton Pillar order, which is now known as a search order. But it enables a lawyer to enter private premises and to seize the materials that they need to prevent them from being hidden or destroyed. So Jim knew that the culprit was a shady character and he knew that he wasn't going to be simply invited into the ringleader's house. So he took with him a bunch of grads for backup and he knocked on the door armed with the order and a very well rehearsed speech, he tells me, to ensure that he followed the correct procedure because that's what he was worried about. Now, the door was answered by a really fearsome gentleman who was about six foot two. He had on a big denim jacket. I think he was missing a finger on each hand. Quite a scary looking character. He wasn't someone you'd ordinarily want to, to mess with, but Jim wasn't phased. He just launched into his speech and kept going, completely undeterred. Well, the ringleader then pulled back his jacket, pulled out a gun, pointed it directly at Jim and said, I think you need to leave. But Jim wasn't deterred by the gun either. He just stepped back and said, look, I suggest you call your lawyer. We'll just wait out here. Uh, A couple of hours might have passed before the door opened and they were all invited in. And I said, how did you go in? I think I would have been terrified. He said, no, we had a job to do. And so in they went. They managed to find everything they needed. And the the gentleman was convicted, which was a really great win for the record companies and and recording artists. Fiona, what's your favourite story that you've uncovered during this, this process? Well, I'd like to start by saying the question's unfair. It's like asking a mother which of her two sons she loves more. It's just outrageous. Should I ask uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's a lot of wonderful stories. One that comes immediately to mind is the story about the Ritz Hotel case and just imagine the circumstances. Michael Rose, who went on to become our managing partner many decades later, was bumming around Europe as so many of us did in those days before starting a large law firm. 
And there he is in some flea-ridden youth hostel and he remembers <laughs> it's his birthday and that he'd better call his mum. So he finds a public phone box somewhere, calls home and is told, quickly ring this litigation partner at Allen's. I think they want you to do something in Europe. So being the dutiful son he was, <laughs> he rings the litigation partner who says, listen, buddy, go and find yourself a cheap suit. I know you're living on $10 a day, but work it out. <laughs> And head up to Paris. We've got a matter involving the Ritz Hotel and we need you to uh, we need you to inspect some documents. <laughs> and so he did. Who can imagine? <laughs> and all of his friends, they stayed in the flea-ridden youth hostel and uh, there was Michael doing discovery at the Ritz Hotel. <laughs> it's not a bad tale, I think. It's not bad at all. I think, though, the Ritz would look quite different with archive boxes stacked floor to ceiling rather than if you were just there enjoying the champagne looking out the window. Well, look, I couldn't comment. Clearly you have you know more about these things than I do, Mel. I could only dream of the rest, Fiona. <laughs> well, I know Michael said his suit was cheap, but he felt like a million dollars. Right, right. So, Fiona, as chair of the firm, what is your vision for the future of Allen's? You ask very hard questions, Mel. This is why you have the job you've got, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm pretty ambitious for the firm. It's a wonderful firm. I think it's the best firm in the country, and I'd like it to stay that way. Non-biased opinion, of course. No, it's pretty objective. It's pretty objective. I think what we'll see is a firm that is increasingly diverse, and diversity over time will become an expression of ever-increasing breadth. And I think that the way we'll do our matters will be different. They'll become increasingly multidisciplinary. A client was actually saying some nice things about our client service. And when we pushed her for some specifics, some of the examples she rattled off related to work being done by people in the firm who once upon a time we would have thought as providing an adjacent service, but they're now just so core to what you do. And she was talking so enthusiastically about the IT service and their willingness to talk with IT people in the States and the legal project management service and all this sort of stuff. In fact, everything other than the stuff I do on the matter was all a bit confronting. <laughs> but I just, that is very different from when I started out. And that is a trend that's just going to grow and grow and grow. I mean, essentially, law firm, giving legal advice, solving clients' problems. But the way we do that will be different. Our last question for today, and perhaps one of our most difficult, and this is for both of you, if you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Uh, look, I have to say, if I get remembered for making history interesting, I'd be really proud of that. There's so much we can learn from those who came before us and, and so many of the stories will have you on the edge of your seat. So I think if I can help bring those to life and help people share in what's happened before, that'd be a great thing to be remembered for. Fiona. As a lawyer, I think I'd like to be remembered as a creative lawyer. As a person, certainly insofar as I present here, I think I would like to be thought of as, um, as fair, fair and kind. If I can write the history, that's how I will be remembered, but I suspect I won't be writing the history. <laughs> we'll see what Mel has to say after she comes back to com. <laughs> Thank you. Amazing. Thank you both so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure talking to you both and feel in very safe hands with, with you both recounting the history as it is so we can learn from our lessons and with you, Fiona, at the helm, driving us forward into the future. Thank you both very much. Thank you very much. Thank Cheers. you.